Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? It is so good to, I, I would say, see you, but I can't see you, but you can probably see me or hear me. I'm your host, Veda Hedgeman of Is Here Ruin Radio. And if you are listening on iHeartRadio, I want to thank you and welcome you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're listening on Spotify, I want to say hello. If you're listening on iTunes, I want to say hello. If you are listening on the TuneIn app, we want to say hello and greet you in the name of the one and only triune God and praise him and worship him. Now, if you are listening and watching on YouTube, I want to wave at you. What's happening? What's happening? So good to see you. You know, um, I want to make sure, you know, you check out some of our recent episodes that we've had. You know, we had an awesome debate with two really well-known teachers, you know, in the Trinitarian, Sam Shamoon, you know, who knows almost the whole Bible literally by his heart, like for real, for real, like literally, you know, as he debated uh, Roger Perkins on our show. Roger Perkins is known for debating people like James White, Matt Slick, and several other uh, popular Trinitarians, and they and they had a doctrinal dialogue on Is He A Real One Radio. We certainly want to encourage you to check it out. And I also was a guest a couple of times on a very important topic recently in, re in recent days. I, I got interviewed on Frank Turek's podcast, the Cross-Examine podcast. Jim Warner Wallace, the well-known apologist and retired detective, you know, interviewed me and we discussed racism and we discussed racism in the, in the church. And I had the same conversation on Dr. Sean McDowell's on Dr. Sean McDowell's show. So if you're on YouTube, I'll, I will put the links to those in in the description box. And I have a very special guest today where we'll kind of discuss some of that stuff, but we'll also discuss more. And he's a great person to to have this conversation with because he has a book that is coming out really, really soon, y'all. So, so this interview will discuss some of the contemporary issues that are currently going on. And we'll also discuss his book that is called Black Church Empowered. All right. It's called Black Church Empowered. It will be released, I believe, on August 25th. So that is coming up. And if you like what he says, or if you feel like you can learn from him, Based on what he says here, I want you to pre-order that book and check it out, all right? He covers a myriad of things important to the church and to church experience. So again, it, it, it does touch on some of the stuff that we're experiencing with social justice and racism. It, it, it does touch on some of that stuff, but it does, it's not only about that. You know, it's related to church membership, engagement, perception, and much more. So I'm very honored to introduce this brother. He is a colleague of mine, and I've viewed a lot of his work and his presentations, you know, he even though he might not know that. And I've always been impressed, you know, with how he presents the gospel. Uh, this man is a pastor. He is an author. He is a speaker. He is a husband. He is a father. Yeah, but most importantly, you know, he is a man of God. He is a child of God. So I want to introduce to you all Isaiah Robertson. How are you doing, my brother? I'm well, man. I'm, I'm uh, elated to be on with you this evening. Uh, looking forward to the dialogue. Uh, I'm also excited about all the work that you're doing. Uh, this is an amazing platform, and I pray that it uh, only continues to grow, my brother. Amen. I receive that, man. I receive that. To God be the glory. So is it anything, you know, else? Is it, any, is it anything else, you know, related to you that you, you know, want to mention as it pertains to you, your ministry, the book, et cetera? Nah, you, you, you said it, man. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm most excited about being uh, a husband of one wife, uh, my wife. Uh, 
is uh, is a way. This you better weekend. be specific. You better be specific about how many it is. You better. <laughs> you know, well, you know, you know, in, in, in the African American church, you know, we 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 call pastors' wives, senior pastors' wives, first ladies, right? Uh huh. And so I I I I make I make a right. joke and I let everybody right. know she's not just the first lady. <laughs> right. Yeah, she's the only lady. <laughs> she's the only lady. You're right. She ain't the second, ain't no third, second lady. third lady. <laughs> That's hilarious. I'm totally going to use that. I'm still in that. That's hilarious. <laughs> well, that's cool, man. That's cool. So, you know, I did do, you know, I, I did do an intro, you know, about the book. You know, I was able to read, you know, some portions of it. Obviously, it isn't out yet. When I get my hands on the full thing, I'll certainly, you know, take a look at that. But let's talk a little bit about the book. Uh, when exactly it comes out and why is the content in the book important? Yeah, so it, it comes out August 25th. We're actually working to try to uh, release it sooner. So, um, you know, there may be a big announcement coming soon. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, fingers crossed, we can release it in early August, uh, depending on, you know, formatting and editing and all that stuff. Um, but, but it is an important book because I believe, and this is my opinion, I, I believe that the absolute best thing for the Black community is a black church that's theologically sound, socially conscious, and culturally audacious. Uh, I think if the black community can have that type of church ministering to it, mm -hmm. then I think ultimately that bodes well for the African-American uh, community. Also, the times that we're in, man, necessitate that we need a church that uh, detaches itself from celebrityism, right? Mm -hmm. From, you know, the cult of personality, gets rooted and grounded theologically, socially, right? So that we can speak into all of the societal issues that we see happening all around us. So, um, you know, I think if the black church can wake up in a sense, right? And, and, and everybody that knows me knows that I'm an apologist for the black church, but that doesn't mean that the black church is perfect, right? I speak well right. and highly of the black church, but I realize that we have blind spots and we have issues. Um, uh, but I feel like, I feel like if the black church can rise to the occasion in this moment and be the prophetic voice that it has always been, uh, then we have uh, the opportunity by the grace of God to make maximum impact. So, yeah. You know, you mentioned something about, you know, the whole celebrityism thing, you know, and that really is important because I see a lot of people sharing people who are really popular, you know, but they have heretical teaching or very dangerous teaching. Now, I don't, I don't, I'm pretty sure that doesn't only impact, impact, you know, the church community that's predominantly black, but that is something, you know, that's, you know, that impacts believers in general, you know, can you expound a little bit on that and how that can impact people's theology, especially if, you know, if I'm a new believer and I don't know about the Trinity, I don't know about the deity of Jesus Christ. I don't know, I don't know all of this stuff yet. And if I'm listening to stuff that's about, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's teaching oneness, you know, which, which you may not think that's a huge deal, Trinity or oneness until you actually, it's a huge deal. Yeah, yeah, you know, until, <laughs> you know, until you really dive into it, it's like, wait a minute. Yeah, so this yeah, means Jesus yeah. isn't eternal. He isn't right. at a beginning and he has right. an ending, right? You know, right. Th th this has major implications, you know? So whether it be something like that, or if it's, you know, you know, like the word of faith stuff where, where it's not focused on the heart of the issue. You know, it's not about if I get a million dollars tomorrow or $1 tomorrow. I mean, I'm sure God don't want me to be broke, but what's most important is 
you know, God wants me to be whole. God wants me to be redeemed, right? You know, and, and that's the gospel. So, you know, when it comes to the whole celebrityism thing, we have a lot of celebrities who uh, are preachers who are revered as Christians, but they don't teach the gospel. So how, you how do you think that impacts the church? Yeah, and that's why one of the, so one of the, I call these the core three, right? The three things that, and it's not just the African-American church, but, 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 you know, you know, what I say and what I write can also benefit the uh, universal body of Christ. But, you know, the African-American church is the context from which I come. I pastor an African-American church. So, of course, just like Paul was concerned about his kinsmen according to the flesh, I have a, a, an affinity for the African-American church experience. So um, I, I call these the core three because I think that these are the most important things that the African-American church must be in order to flourish in the future. Number one is, you know, uh, theologically sound, right? Right. Um, because we, we can't just be good for nothing, right? So if we're going out there and we're fighting against injustice and we're feeding the hungry and we're, um, you know, ministering to those that are in prison and we're doing all of these wonderful things for those on the margins and for those uh, who are uh, historically oppressed, right? All of those are good things, right. but if we don't have theological content, right? And if we're not pointing people upward, then ultimately we're good for nothing, right? Wow. All of those thing, things are wonderful, but in the scope of things, but in the scope of things, they have no e ultimate eternal value, right? Now right. we know that God cares about what's going on in this world, right? And his kingdom absolutely touches um, our existential reality. However, if we don't have the gospel being proclaimed, if we don't have the right Christ, right? If, if we don't have uh, the right uh, 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 exegesis being proclaimed from our pulpits, then ultimately we're doing a whole lot of good, but there's really no eternal weight or value. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I wanna, I wanna I want to feed people. I want to help people. I want to fight for justice. I want to see those who are marginalized and oppressed uh, be protected and cared for. But ultimately, I want people to know Christ. And Amen. I want people to know the biblical Christ, the true Amen. Christ. And I want people, I want to spend eternity with these people, right? So, so, so without sound theology, that cannot be accomplished. And, Man, and, and yeah, go ahead. No, 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 finish your thought. No, and, and, and so I, I, I just refuse, though, to turn over social activism to those that are theologically liberal. Um, I refuse to allow social activism to be a theologically uh, liberal preoccupation, right? Um, so, you know, our savior is concerned about these issues, so we must be concerned about them as well. I'm simply saying, let's just, let's just uh, fill in the blanks that the, uh, that the theologically liberal church leaves open, and let's pour that biblical gospel-centered content in those blanks and uh, and point people to, to, to Christ and to eternity. Man, you touched on something that we certainly going to unpack, you know, about the theologically liberal, you know, uh, folks, you know, you know, pursuing social justice and whatnot. But before we even get there, man, I want to touch on, you know, uh, us preaching the right Christ, right? You know, because what we might risk doing if we aren't preaching and worshiping and serving the right Christ We'll just be some Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons in different clothes, you know, because right. we, we, we say in the name, but we talk about something else. You know, the Bible says right. that this is not our own doing. 
right? Being right. saved right. through faith. It's not our own doing. It is a gift from God, you know, not a result of work so that no one can boast. I can't boast this little show I'm doing, you know, a little sermon I might do. I don't care if I spend 30 hours studying it so I can know it, you know, as well. I, I read eight different translations. That, that, that ain't nothing. The work of Jesus, now that is something. That is yeah. something. The least I can do is dedicate my, I can tell we're going to be preaching to each other. I can tell, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but let's do it, bro. Let's, I got my P3. You I know, got but, my P3. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I saw that. I saw that. You had the, uh, you had the outline of the sermon. I was like, oh, I was like, I never thought about it. I never thought about it fundamentally. And, and just for the record, y'all, he, in, in his book, he has, he has a, you can describe it better than me, you know, you have a you have a portion of your book where you talk about you know the sermon or the historically black sermon you know where you know the the introduction the build up and it's not just as simple as okay three points and a close you know many people know that but it's talking about some all the way to you know where it get really high and everybody is screaming and then the and then the preacher sit down you know while while it's a frenzy I thought that was uh you broke that down we, we don't got to unpack that you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you know no problem. Uh, but 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 yeah. get the book get the yeah, get book the, tell everybody get the book, <laughs> get the book. you know but i, I do want to touch on the other thing that you said you know in, in your most recent soliloquy though you know about the theologically liberal can you ex can you expand on that because you know many will say or many will wonder if we can be socially conscious and still be theologically sound, you know? So why is it even controversy with that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so you know, theological liberalism is born out of European enlightenment, right? And, and, and it's really a, an effort that started in Europe, German with, with, with German scholars, really an effort to detach Christianity from its supernatural moorings and to try to, um, for lack of a better word, modernize Christianity, right? So, mm -hmm. so you know, you had a, a fight that spilled over from Europe into America between the fundamentalists and the modernists. The modernists essentially were uh, trying to demythologize the faith. Um, they were trying to still wear the Christian label while essentially deconstructing all of the historic Christian creeds and doctrines, right? Uh, and then you had the fundamentalists on the other side, right, that they were standing for the fundamentals on the faith, of the faith, um, the inerrancy, the infallibility of scripture, they were standing for the virgin birth, they were standing for the deity of Christ, the Trinity, all these things. Um, but, but, but their issue was they essentially ceded the culture to the theologically liberal folks. Princeton ultimately becomes theologically liberal. Uh, all of these seminaries um, end up succumbing to theologically liberal influence and fundamentalists retreat into their silos and, 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 and no longer engage the culture. And so that was supposed to be solved with, you know, with, with the rise of, of, of modern evangelicalism. But, uh, you know, let's just say that, that, that the, 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 what I talk about in the book is, is, is the, the dual dynamic, right? This, this, this reality that when Jesus Christ came, right? Luke chapter four, he pulls in Isaiah 61, he has come to preach, right? Glad tidings to the poor. He has come to, uh, you know, um, set the captives free, open blind eyes, all of these things, right? So this is not just figurative speech, right? Jesus literally did these things, right? So we see him do these things both literally and figuratively. So this is the dual dynamic of Christ's ministry, right? So there's real 
existential ministry to people, right? Also uh, evidenced by Matthew chapter 25. Uh, but then there's also the, the, the opening of spiritually blinded eyes, right? So, so we see the spiritual element to this. So, um, so engaging in social activism, right? And coupling that with theological conserv conservatism is nothing new um, because Jesus did it. Right, it's it, and we don't just see Jesus do it. We see the see the disciples do it in Acts chapter six when there's a dispute and you have the the Hellenized uh, yep. Jewish widows that aren't being yep. exactly taken care of. You see it in the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? So 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 this isn't just this isn't a new thing where theologically conservative folks are called and compelled to in, in, engage for those that are oppressed and marginalized. Right? They go hand in hand. However, however historically it's been seen social activism has been seen as a theologically liberal preoccupation since walter rauschenbusch in a book that he wrote about uh um, you know christianity and the social gospel um and it's just kind of been seen as something that they do and we don't do unless it comes to abortion or fighting against gay marriage or you know fighting against sex trafficking and things of that nature but that's 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 limited right that's that that narrows the kingdom scope right of, of of the gospel and so um i don't know if i answered your question i said a lot but i don't know no, that, that, that that was great i, I kind of want to expound just real quick you know on one of the examples you know you, you mentioned acts chapter six you know for those who are listening who may not know that off the off the top of your head you know this is at a point where the disciple this is after you know jesus's ascension into heaven after he didn't you know died and rose again you know and he ascended into heaven you know and they, they are doing work, they're, they're doing ministry, but it comes a point where they aren't able to do every single thing. The disciples aren't able to do every single thing. And there were Greek speaking Jews, you know, who aren't Hebrew speaking Jews. This is, this is actually, you know, a, a racial re relation, you know, and out of that type of issue came the came different assignments of the church that people actually had to do you know most commentators most commentators will read that and say that's the assignment of deacons but you know regardless when you look at that you see that okay let's delegate these responsibilities why because these responsibilities are important we got to make sure all of this stuff happens so and you know as pastor robertson is saying is he's saying that you can be theologically sound and still see that someone is in need and let's make sure we address this group of people who is in need it is possible to be theologically sound and actually do that is that a fair uh, yeah I, I mean i mean the reality is is that right when we when we witness injustice uh -huh. what we're ultimately saying is unrighteousness right we're not just yes, saying and injustice occur against an individual, but because that individual is in the image of God, it, it, it is an affront to God himself, right? So when we see this unrighteousness, right, all, all, all social activism is, is, is bringing God's righteousness to bear in the social arena through human advocacy, right? So God, God could easily, you know, uh, uh, just, just, just send a tornado, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 wipe out all of the corrupt police officers, and and wipe out all of the, you know, all of the 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 systems of this world that are uh, oppressing people. He could easily do that without human advocacy, but that's not how he designed it, right? Right. He 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 ordains 
the means as well as the ends, right? And <laughs> the means by which we see justice occur on this earth is through human advocacy, human, human involvement. When we see individuals or groups being marginalized, disenfranchised, taken advantage of, justice will not come unless there is human advocacy. It's not because God is somehow um, impotent and weak. It's because he's, he's ordained people to stand up and be the voice for the voiceless. Matthew wow. 25, as you've done it to the least, as you, you have done it to the least of these, right? It you've is. done it unto me. So, so yeah, man, there's no conflict there whatsoever. As a matter of fact, I see, I see a gospel mandate um, to, to, to engage in that type of activity. So, so why do you think historically, and, and maybe we're easing right into some of the stuff that's going on right now, right? Why do you think historically, you know, people who have conservative views or more or less their, their teaching is accurate when it comes to the Bible, at least nowadays, right? It wasn't like that in slavery. It was butchering up the Bible. But nowadays, for the most part, when it comes to their teaching, we see people who, okay, if I just listen to your teaching and I go, wow, okay, that's cool. That's what's up. I can do, I can put together a Bible study on that all day. But when it comes to this particular topic and how we actually put it in place, it's plenty of people who will disagree with you. It's plenty of people who I've looked up to, man, especially nowadays. And I've seen them make comments, send out tweets, put up Instagram posts. And I just thank God that I am a believer of Christ because I know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and not because I believe in some man or so or some woman. Because times like this, if that was the case, if it was that celebrity, that celebrityism that you was talking about because someone's a theologian, times like this could really rock somebody's faith, right? But But why do you think that is, though, you know, that, you know, people who are theologically you know conservative you know might view how we act on justice so differently yeah because you know and i write about this in my book uh, in the chapter on the black church and social activism and this is going to be hard for people to hear but let me unpack this it's because in a lot of ways american christianity has been somewhat defective since the beginning right so you have the Society for the Propagation of the Gospel in Foreign Parts, which is a Anglican missionary society that is launched in England. And they mm -hmm. have as a goal, right? And this is before America is formed as a country. This is during the colonial period. They have as a goal to Christianize enslaved Africans, right? So they go throughout South Carolina. They go throughout Virginia. They're evangelizing to enslaved people. And they have this idea that you can preach the gospel to enslaved people and get their soul saved, but that doesn't mean there is no responsibility to do something for their existential, you know, plight and experience. Mm -hmm. Souls can be saved, bodies in chains, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and so we see this sort of defect, defective. Um, I would say it's a it's a um, a defective orthopraxy, right? Orthopraxy, what we do, right? Yeah. Um, we, we see that continue from the colonial period to the inception of this country, all the way through to the civil rights movement, where you have Dr. King out on the front lines, right? He's marching, there are sit-ins, right? And you have Billy Graham in stadiums, right? Now, now I, I don't wanna, I don't wanna um, cast aspersions upon Billy Graham's faith. I think he was a great man of God and I appreciate him. However, you have to ask the question, why wasn't he marching with King, mm. right? Why wasn't he on the front lines of, the, of this movement? How come in, a, in, a, in, a, in an article in the New York Times when uh, Dr. King was arrested and sent to a, a jail in Birmingham, 
uh, uh, Billy Graham tells him to cool it a little bit, right? Um, it's because there has been, for whatever reason, this, this blind spot here in America when it comes to orthopraxy, prax not just orthopraxy, but also orthopathy. So we have orthodoxy, orthodoxy is great, right? But orthodoxy should lead to right practice, right? And it, it shouldn't just lead to right practice, but also it also should lead to right feeling, right? We, we, we should feel a certain way about the people that we're called to minister to. Um, but, but American Christianity has had this, 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 this defective problem that still persists to this day in ministries all across this country where it's, hey, preach the gospel, but don't worry about that other stuff. And that ultimately is, 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 is short-sighted. And, 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 and it's only that way when it comes to, you know, um, fighting against injustice and racism. We can, we can, we can fight against abortion, right? right? We don't say just preach the gospel for that. We say no, go to we the We call abortion. it out by name. Abortion exactly. is wrong. Exactly, yeah. right? It's not just- We call out numbers and everything. We call out numbers, exactly. this many babies. It is wrong. And I agree. It's wrong. Those are human yes. beings. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. So, so uh, you know, it, it's- you know, and we, we need to pray. We need to continue to believe that God can break these strongholds, right? And these, you know, this, this, this way of thinking that bifurcates uh, orthodoxy and orthopraxy and seems to put them at odds with each other. Um, but yeah, that's, that, that's the reason why we've had this issue now. However, here's the reality, though. That way of thinking, you know, this, 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 this thinking that says it's okay for souls to be saved, and bodies to still be in chains, right? That way of thinking never pervaded the African-American church. The African-American church never had a conflict with orthodoxy and orthopraxy from its inception. Mm. The independent black church in the North came out of a philanthropic organization called the Free African Society, right? So you have Richard Allen and Absalom Jones they launched, they launched this society, it's called the Free African Society, meant to, that this society is, is, is established to minister to the existential needs of, of free African Americans in, in Philadelphia, right? And it is from that organization that the first independent black church in the nation uh, is founded, uh, Mother Bethel in Philadelphia. So a part of the DNA of the black church has been orthodoxy and orthopraxy, gospel, and gospel-motivated activism. We've never, ever pit these two things against one another. Wow. You know, uh, one, one of the things that you uh, pointed out, and it is a harsh reality, people don't like to hear it, the Black humanity has been a contested view in this country, you know, from its inception, you know, since it was uh, revered as the United States of America. And that does have a residual effect. Now, do you think... And this is my daughter. She just walked in. Hey, daughter. Yeah. There she go right here. Hey, daughter. <laughs> She's you so You just gonna walk. You just gonna walk in and not say nothing. We talk hey, about pretty church. girl. All right. The next. The next topic is getting you to play the tambourine thing. That, that's gonna be the next question I ask her. <laughs> nah, but uh, but yeah, man. Staying staying on that same staying on that same topic. I was so as I as you just heard me say in the intro, I was blessed to have the opportunity to speak to a couple of really well respected platforms. You know, and Frank Turek. I'm imagine you know who Frank Turek and Sean McDowell is. Yep, yep. They, they both mm -hmm. invited me on to God be the glory. Now, 
Sean asked me, you know, um, a really good question that I want to ask you, you know, mm -hmm. and it was, do you think that in this responsibility of resolving things in America, is it only a correction that that our white brothers and sisters have to do and how they respond to this or is it anything that we that black people can do better as well is it or is it only something that white people listening to this they need to improve or what can or, or can black people do anything better also yeah so i i, I you know they're not gonna like my answer. People aren't gonna like my answer, but the reality is is that white people have been just just as impacted by white supremacy as, 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 as white people have. Did I say black people have been, did I say black people or white people? You said white people. Okay, black people have been just as impacted by white supremacy as, as white people have, right? Um, and what so- What does that mean before you go on? What does that mean? Yeah, so white supremacy is is essentially like a superiority complex based mm -hmm. on a whiteness, based on you know uh, white power and 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 white racial dominance. It's this view, this mentality that white is right and anything non-white is other and aberrant, uh, and therefore you know not as good as white. Um, and that attitude does not just affect white people that attitude permeates this entire country, white, black, red, yellow, all across the spectrum, hmm. right? Yeah. So, and so, and so, you know, you have within the African-American community, a lot of self-hatred. Um, as a matter of fact, a derivative of white supremacy is colorism within African-American communities, where wow. if I'm dark-skinned and you're light-skinned, right, I might have antipathy and animosity towards you because of the color of your skin, because, you know, uh, if, you know, like take, for example, Fisk uh, is an HBCU in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, Fisk, um, you know, they used to give the brown bag test. Uh, and the brown bag test is we hold up a brown bag. And if, if, you, if your skin <laughs> color isn't right. just as light or lighter than that brown yeah. bag, then you're not going to be admitted here. Right. So 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 we have these legacies within our own community of self-hatred. Um, self-loathing that we really have to grapple with uh, and, and deal with. And yeah, I, I would even say that, uh, you know, um, we, 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 we bear the shame and stigma of 400 years of subjugation and slavery. Um, and it is hard with that being our um, collective narrative, it is hard for us to forgive. It is extremely hard for us to forgive, but we're called to. We yeah. have to. Um, we, we, we can't harbor, particularly as believers, we can't harbor hatred in our hearts towards those who oppressed us or their descendants. We have to, we have to find a way to go Martin's way rather than Malcolm's way. Right? right. Martin's way was love and nonviolence, love and nonviolence. Right. Martin's way. I mean, Malcolm's way, although, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Malcolm X, but I, I can't go his way completely because his way was 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 thorough black nationalism. Uh, and until he went to Mecca and course corrected right. hatred for the white man, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, so yeah, there, there are some things that, that, that we need to do within our own communities. However, that's for us to resolve, right? So he, he, here's the thing, right? So you have some white people, right, that will say, well, what about black on black crime? What about all these things? Okay, okay, that's deflection, right? Amen. And a lot of times that is brought up 
to shift the focus away from what the actual issue is that Amen. they don't want to confront, that they don't want to fix. A, 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 a prime uh, tool of uh, implicit bias and racism is deflection, right? Amen. And so I would call for my white brothers and sisters not to deflect, all right? We are dealing with black on black crime. As a matter of fact, there was an article um, that, that, that came out, I think it was in the Chicago Times, uh, of, of groups of young African-American men that actually protested, um, and I don't even like the term black on black, but they actually, they, they protested violence in their communities, right? Um, uh, there, there's a, a, you know, there are concerned coalitions of, of, of black clergy members that are meeting together in cities all across this country, addressing violence in African-American communities. We got this. All right, we, we, we got this. <laughs> it, is it, is, it, is, it is foolish to think that we're, we're, we're not addressing these things. Mm -hmm. So what I want my white brothers and sisters to stop doing is deflecting and to really focus on the issue at hand. Yeah, you know, I, I'll even go even further. You know, there, there are a number of, there, there are a number of things that plague the black community, right? You know, you know, some deflections are fatherlessness, you know, some of it is, you know, uh, unemployment. And of course, it's systemic reasons behind all of this stuff, even if you want to focus in on it. But my response to that is, I don't disagree that these are issues that we want resolved, including civilian on civilian crime. Right. But again, if I break my knee, and I snap my elbow and I, you know, um, break my fingers and, you know, and my pinky toe is smashed and I'll go, hey, I need my, I need my knee fixed. And then you go, well, let's not talk about your knee and just talk about your pinky toe. Let, let's just talk about that. And then I go, all right, whatever. We talk about that. Then you want to talk about my elbow. And it's like, but I want to talk to you about my knee. That's, that's how I started the conversation. I'm right. not saying right. that this other stuff ain't an issue. Okay, right. cool. That's what's up. You know, right. <laughs> humans are flawed. Sin is right. sin. We, we do right. sin, but I, you are absolutely right about the point on deflection. And I'll even go a bit further and, and talk about the whole, you know, the, the objection of is Christianity the white man's religion? Mm -hmm. You know, the, that is a direct result of white supremacy. Absolutely. And, you know, and the mere fact that that's even if we're educated on it, we understand how foolish and objection that really is. I, as I always say, when I do a presentation on it, I go, look, the Bible is true. Christianity is true. But let's I, let's just say it's not true. It still ain't the white man's religion. There's no way I, I could concede about 15 to 20 points and it still ain't the white man's religion, even right. if. Oh. A white man, let's say a white man wrote all 66 books. It still ain't the white man's religion if you right. read it. If, right. <laughs> like, right. There's right. no way right. you look at it, right? But the mere fact that it is an objection that comes up with unlearned atheists mm -hmm. is a direct result of that, you know? And Absolutely. Yeah. You, you have any thoughts to what I just said? Yeah. I mean, you know, so... They don't know. See, the, the only way that they can say that the that Christianity is the white man's religion is by being ignorant of history. Right. Okay, um, when they look at history, so 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 I focus on my focus is primarily on the black church in America, right, and the history of the black church in America. But even the history of the black church in America points to the reality that black 
folks were astute and wise enough, enslaved black people were astute and wise enough to see that the Christianity of the slave master wasn't it. Amen. They didn't, they, they, they didn't, they didn't, you know, uh, uh, get whipped and beat by their slave masters. And, and then after being whipped and beaten, come off the whipping post and say, I want your Jesus. And I want right. to, I want to, you know, I want to, I want your faith. No, right. they, they, they wholeheartedly rejected the Christianityism of the slave master. Now they didn't reject Christianity proper. They just rejected the, the, the false and feckless Christianity of the slave master that, that, that saw fit to demoralize and demean uh, brown image bearers of God. Um, their Christianity, however, didn't, didn't have this, uh, this division. Their Christianity uh, realized the image of God in all peoples. And you see that in Frederick Douglass's autobiography in the appendix, where he talks about the difference between the Christianity of this land and the pure and undefiled Christianity of Christ, right? So, so Frederick Douglass, the greatest abolitionist to ever live, the Martin Luther King of the 19th century, right? Knew that there was something inherently different between the Christianity of the slave master and the Christianity of the Bible, right? right. And so, you know, oftentimes when I get in conversations with these quote unquote woke guys, who claim that 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 uh, you know Christianity is the white men's religion, uh, white man's religion? What 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 I what I often ask is, tell me something about the first Great Awakening, tell me something about the second Great Awakening. A lot of times they don't know anything about that, right? And if they don't know anything about the first and second Great Awakening, then 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 they need to be educated because it was during the first Great Awakening and the and second Great Awakening particularly that enslaved people were converted on large scales. It wasn't forced upon them. It wasn't, they weren't whipped into submission uh, until they said the Lord's Prayer, right? These open air revivals occurred all throughout uh, the states, Northeast, and even trickled down into the South. Um, enslaved folks, along with, with white people, it, these, these, these open air revivals, they were mixed. And you have accounts of enslaved people being converted right alongside white people voluntarily, right? Um, and so if they know nothing about the first Great Awakening and the second Great Awakening uh, and the mass enslaved uh, conversions that happened there, then they, they, they have no clue what they're talking about. Wow, wow, that, that's good stuff. Now, when it comes to the different issues that might impact different cultures, you know, some might listen to this element of our conversation or they might even hear some of your comments and go, okay, well, it sounds like it's a this is us versus them type of thing as far as black people and white people and other communities type of thing. And that's contrary to scripture. How would you respond to that? Yeah, so one of the things that I would say is that I am in no way denying the reality and the beauty of the universal body of Christ, right? Uh -huh. I believe in the universal body of Christ made up of all nations, tribes, and tongues. However, however, within this one universal body are very uh, uh, many different local expressions, okay? And that is glorious. That is beautiful. You cannot have you, true unity without diversity, right? You, you, if you don't have diversity, there is nothing to be united around, right? right. You, you can't have unity 
without true diversity. So within this one universal body of Christ are many different local expressions that God uses for different purposes and for different reasons. Like, like for example, during the civil rights movement, I'm not going to say that 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 every that, that that every black church was involved during the civil rights movement, but it is undoubtedly true that the civil rights movement was being led primarily by members of the black church. Okay, mm -hmm. it wasn't the un universal church right. that was involved in that movement. It was <laughs> it was representatives of the universal church who happened to be black and who happened to represent a context within the universal body of, uh, body of Christ. Uh, that is that is historically black, right? So this was God using this segment of the African American church for His glory for that particular reason. We can see that today, right? You have the the the, the church in Korea right now that's killing it when it comes to missionary uh, aid, right? They're sending missionaries to America. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and so God is using that segment of the body of Christ to do wonderful things. So, so, so this is not about separation, right? Um, I would also say that, 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 that sentiment, this, this, this concern that if we use the term the black church, or if we emphasize the black church, then somehow we're being divisive. This view comes from a, a, a paper thin view of the believer's unity in Christ, right? We are united by something stronger and more powerful, right, than terms. We are united by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. This is why, this is why in Acts uh, chapter 16, or chapter 15, you have Paul and Barnabas, right? They have a dispute. Uh, yeah. They have a dispute over John Mark, right? And the dispute gets heated, right? <laughs> and they decide that they have to go their separate ways. Now, right. notice... Neither one of them said, wait a minute, we can't go our separate ways. Right. Because if we go our separate ways, we're going we're gonna to break the unity and the Catholicity of the church. No, we have to be, no, no. They realized that yeah. there was Paul who wrote Ephesians 2, right? Paul who, who talks about neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. Paul is oh, the God. one who decides we got to yeah. separate, right? right? And I would even argue that that even served the cause of the gospel better. Because now you have two missionaries in separate geographic locations, spreading the gospel, getting more people saved separately until they until they ultimately join back together again and and reconcile. Right? I, I, I want to read some real quick, and I don't want to I don't want to belabor the point, but I want to read some real quick. This is Romans chapter sixteen, uh, and I'll start in verse three. This is the Apostle Paul. Now remember, the Apostle Paul is the same one that wrote Ephesians two. Right. Same one that said there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. Same one that talked about the middle wall of partition in Ephesians 2 coming down and the two becoming one, right? In yes, Romans chapter 16, verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, here it is, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. He just referred to these churches yeah. that were presum presumably predominantly attended by Gentile people <laughs> as churches of the Gentiles. Right. Now, this is the same Paul that says there's neither Jew nor Greek. Right. Who didn't That's good. consider it an affront to the unity of the church to <laughs> use a term of distinction 
wow. when referring to churches that are predominantly attended by Gentile people. Mm. If Paul don't have no problem with it, he <laughs> shouldn't have a problem with it. Amen. Okay? Amen. It is okay. Terms of distinction don't separate us. They just acknowledge the fact that within this one glorious and beautiful universal body of Christ, there are many different expressions, and that redounds to the glory of God. We should praise God for that. Amen. That's beautiful. That, that, that's so, good. so let me say this. So, so let me say this. So when I work to strengthen the African-American church, then I am also working to strengthen the church, the Amen. Big C church. When we work to strengthen the Korean church, we are also working to strengthen the Big C church. When we work to strengthen the, the Mexican-American church, on and so on and so on and so on and so. All right. This is not taking away from unity. This is strengthening the body of Christ by focusing on its various expressions down here on this earth. That's good stuff, man. Man, that, that's great stuff. I could talk to you all day. I, I, I don't want to keep you too much longer. You know, I got, I, I do want to get to the white Jesus thing, though. I at least want to yeah. touch on that before, before we go. But before, now, I'm before, sorry for talking so long, Doc. Brother, get, don't get, you, get, man, you preaching. preaching. Man. Preacher. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, man. I hope you ain't one of them preachers, man. You better acknowledge the time now. When we say you got 30 minutes, you better, <laughs> <laughs> don't mean 45. Okay. That, that, that means as soon as you start saying thank you and you start thanking your wife and thanking your yeah. pastor all of that stuff count man you know what yeah, i'm saying yeah. people be doing yeah. their greetings for 12 minutes you know yeah. <laughs> now nah, but uh but, but before we get there i i got one more for you one another question that was asked of me that i think is a interesting question i'm asking you because you know we have a platform you know that has a people of different ethnic groups so mm -hmm. how would you respond to the question of okay well i'm white and with all the stuff that's going on in the world right now, I'm being accused of not being anti-racist enough. What do you say to that? How, how do you help whoever's hearing it? Yeah, so what I would say is don't immediately become defensive. Seek to understand why this person is saying that. Sometimes, sometimes growth occurs via the critique of others. So if somebody says that you're not being anti-racist enough, before you get defensive, sit back and ponder it. Think about it. Realize that we're all human, right? We all have blind spots. We all miss it somewhere. And the reality is, is we can all grow in that area, right? We can all grow in, in, in love, right, towards one another and towards somebody of a, a different ethnicity. We can all grow, right, in, in that area. So I would say, rather than getting defensive and saying, oh, what, oh, yeah, you, 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 have, you don't see all that I've done and, you know, all the people that I eat lunch with and all the black people that are in my, you know, contacts and my cell phone. No, no. Stop, ponder, and think. That's what I would say. Amen. Amen. Now, you have a section in your book that talks about white jesus you know i, I want to talk about that a little bit and this book was written before all of the uh you know events that happened including the current controversy you know you know after sean king you know mentioned it and it went viral after he you know started saying that you know i have my own thoughts about that you know but i want to get your thoughts first you know let's talk about that a little bit you know well, why does the image of jesus matter at all you know just what are your thoughts when we talk about the white jesus thing let's start there well, there is an issue with the second commandment, number one. Um, 
So, so let me let me step back and let me first say that I don't just have an issue with the image of white Jesus. I have an issue with images of Jesus. Period. Okay. Um, now, I particularly have an image of I have an issue with the image of white Jesus in the American context for the way that it's been used. But I think all images of Jesus are problematic because I think it's a it's a second commandment issue. Uh, so that's number one. Number two. Uh, Another reason why it's problematic is because it's a lie. It's a lie, right? Hmm. So lies aren't just spoken, right? Lies can also be told visually. Whenever there's a picture of a white Jesus on a wall, we are lying to people because we know that Jesus did not look like that, mm -hmm. right? Here we have, here we call ourselves Christians and we call our churches Ooh. sacred spaces. Right. where Jesus is supposed to be worshiped and praised and lauded, yet we are visually misrepresenting him and lying to people when we place that picture on our wall. So that, that how, can we, how can we consider ourselves to be truthful people if we are lying about who Jesus is in our sacred spaces and in our sanctuaries? That is a, a huge ethical issue that I think every Christian needs to grapple with because if you know that Jesus was an Afro-Asiatic man. If you know that he was brown skinned, now he wasn't black like I'm black, but he was definitely brown skinned. If you know that, yet you still erect this image or keep this image up in your sacred space, then you are lying. You are lying. <laughs> you are promoting a lie. So, so, so that's one. Number two, number two, the image of white Jesus has been used uh, historically, and even up until the up until the up until today, as a tool of of, of racial othering, right? So, so mm. I mean, Jesus is white, right? So everybody that looks like him must be righteous, pure, and everybody that doesn't look like him must, you know, be other, yeah, right? We yeah. saw this. We we saw this during a Fox News interview. Fox News, where there was a, a Fox News anchor, right? Who she got, she got she got upset right and she basically said santa is white and Man jesus is white, is, white. Jesus just, is white right now just think about the implications <laughs> of this right santa who is beloved by all the children of the world comes down our chimneys and gives us gift uh, 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 an image of 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 just joy and affection and jesus right but then juxtapose that against images of african american historically in this country the sambo the coon, right? The minstrel, right? Wow. So that, so, so, so that, that's problematic. Also, also when you juxtapose the image of white Jesus against a message, right? Where you're colorizing heaven and hell. Oftentimes we talk about a black hell, right? Or a dark hell, mm -hmm. right? We talk about, we talk about black sin, sin that stains us, right? So when you have, when you have this, communication going forward in a church full of black bodies, right? And there's a white Jesus on the wall, right? So white Jesus is on the wall is a picture of righteousness, purity, yet you're colorizing hell and sin. That's problematic. Mm. Um, in my book, in my book, I tell a story about a coworker of mine, uh, a little bit older than me. When he was a, when he was a kid, he, uh, he loved drawing superheroes, right? Loved drawing superheroes. Eventually, he gave that that hobby up. Um, but later on in his life, he came back to his childhood art book 
And when he opened it, he realized that all of the superheroes that he drew when he was young were all white. Mm-hmm. All of them were white. Now, this is a young black boy growing up in inner city Brooklyn. Hmm. Yet when he conceives of, 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 of superheroes, when he thinks about what, what men with superpowers that save the world look right. like, right. they're all white, right? And so just think, just think of how this image of white Jesus, who is the ultimate superhero, mm-hmm. right, affects the black psyche over years and years and years of marginalization, oppression, and racism. And it's got to go. It's got to go. You know, man, I, I mean, you're saying some really powerful and accurate stuff. And I'll... I, I, I want to say something to my brothers and sisters as well, you know, those those of us who are white who are listening to this. The mere fact that it is a luxury to live a life to not have to think about this stuff, right? right. The, you know, the mere fact that, you know, you know, I would love for this conversation to be only about, you know, uh, membership in the black church and this and that and other stuff because all of this stuff is real too right life doesn't stop but this is real life thing I, look i did a presentation on is christianity the white man's uh, a white man's religion in like dallas texas or something and uh, and it was at a it, it was at it, it was at a conference you know and it was several white people there and i was at awe at how many people told me first of all they they, they said this is a good presentation great information and all this stuff but they they said i didn't even know that was a problem these are adults telling me this they said they didn't even know that this was an objection that had to be responded to now i became a believer at about 22 years old i was an agnostic non-believer leaning towards atheism for most of my life and but i knew about this objection when i didn't know nothing about jesus like i didn't even know i ain't i ain't even know jesus you know allegedly died on the cross yeah, like I didn't even know much about him. I was just like, I heard the dude walked on water. People don't walk on water. Christianity is stupid. That was my thing. Yeah. I didn't, <laughs> so I, didn't, I knew almost nothing. But I knew the white man's religion thing. Like I, I knew that, you know. So like it, it is a luxury to be able to have a faith, <laughs> to be able to have a religious practice and not have to worry about your identity. You know, like you know yeah. that that yeah. that yeah. you know that that is something that that does play. You know, the the black church, and I want to encourage my brothers and sisters to talk about this. Now, you said something I don't want to skate past it. You yeah. know, about the white Jesus image being a lie. How do we know that? Well, we know that Jesus, he wasn't European. He didn't come from that region of the world. He is a Middle Eastern man, and if we look at every depiction of of first century Middle Eastern men. Uh, They don't look like a Scandinavian uh, ski teacher. Um, They are melanated people. They are brown people. So we know that. Uh, Every historian will tell you that. Every archaeologist will tell you that. Um, So it's common knowledge. A lot of white pastors will not argue this point. They know that Jesus was not a white man. It's historically inaccurate to depict him as such. And so mm-hmm. to know that and still be okay with, with uh, you know, perpetuating this image is, is, is beyond me. We have to stop if we, if we consider ourselves to be truthful people. Amen. That's, that, that's good stuff, man. That's good stuff. So I, I do want to touch on, you know, uh, maybe one or two more things, you know, uh, bef- before I let you go. 
you know, just thinking about, <clears throat> just thinking about, matter of fact, hold on, let, let me take a step back. I, I want to stay on the white Jesus thing one, one more time. So what's interesting about the current argument that's going on right now in this controversy, you know, there are, I see many people and I've seen several articles and YouTube videos of people who said what you said, you know, about the second amendment thing. And it's like, look, all the images of Jesus need to come down, which I don't disagree with, but I do find it interesting that that becomes the narrative once people start talking about taking down white Jesus. You right. Know, like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's like deflection. I, it's, it's deflection from the actual yeah. conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. disagree, but I do admit I find it remarkably interesting that, you know, if we never see a picture of a, of a black Jesus with dreadlocks, you know, no. we won't say nothing. You know, if we no. never see a picture of Jesus that's a skinnier version of Buddha, you know, we won't yeah. say nothing. You know, yeah. but if we but if we say I don't want to see white Jesus no more either, now it jumps straight to well, we shouldn't have any images of Jesus. Right. And that can right. come off that can come off as white Jesus or nothing. So right. Yeah. So, so I wanna, you know, I, I, I wanna, I, I wanna encourage again, you know, I, I wanna encourage my brothers and sisters to, you know, to think about that. But uh, before I move on, I wanna move on to, to church hurt and a seminary slope, and then I'll, and then I'll let you go. Thank you so much mm -hmm. for your time. But is mm -hmm. there anything that you wanna touch on about that before we move on? No, no, I think we've exhausted that one. All right, praise the Lord. Yeah. So what is the seminary slope? You talk about that a little bit in your book. What is that? Yeah, so, you know, in, in, within the black church, particularly that we have an issue, right? Uh, we have our, our aspiring preachers and pastors. They're brimming with uh, excitement. They need to be trained. They need to learn. Uh, and so we send them off to and uh that journey is fraught with pitfalls and and potential snares and hazards whether they go to a theologically conservative seminary or a theologically liberal seminary um if if they go to a theologically liberal seminary um you know most of the time they come out of a theologically conservative church um if if they're within the missionary uh, baptist context then they're the the statement of faith that they normally uh, affirm is the New Hampshire uh, Baptist Confession of Faith, right? Which is a thoroughly orthodox confession of faith. They go from they go from that into the theologically liberal seminary. They are confronted with perspectives. Uh, they are confronted with viewpoints they've never heard before. Oftentimes, they're not given the other side of the story. They're they're not made aware of the 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 the, the avalanche of scholarship on the other side, right? And they're flipped and they come back to their childhood church uh, and, they, and, and their Christianity is completely deconstructed and then they become a danger to the African-American church, theologically speaking, right? Mm -hmm. But then you have the other scenario, right? They go off to the theologically conservative church and they learn about the Trinity and they learn about uh, apologetics and they learn about various theological methodologies, they learn uh, about you know Christian ethics and, and they, they they study Greek and Hebrew and all these wonderful things. However, however, something begins to develop in their hearts. It's 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 a knowledge that puffs up, right? Um, and they begin to view anything that is outside of the evangelicalism espoused by that seminary. 
they view anything outside of that as aberrant, as other, including the black church. And they become very, very hostile toward the black church. They think that the black church is, uh, is theologically inept and ignorant. Um, they, uh, they aren't formed culturally, right? So they don't learn anything about the history of Christianity in Africa. They don't, know, they don't learn, the, the only Bojan that they talk about is James Cone. And when they talk about James Cone, it's negatively, right? right? They don't learn about anybody else, right? Black that has contributed to the faith in any way. So they're not formed culturally. Uh, they also develop this theological snobbery that ultimately makes them dangerous to the black church as well. So that's the seminary slope, right? We have all of these young aspiring, uh, um, you know, pulpiteers and they're ready, right? They just need to be trained. But when we send them off to seminary, um, there's danger ahead and they could easily stumble into any one of many pitfalls, which is why I'm an advocate of, of, of revamping the apprentice, apprenticeship model which is historically how the African-American church has trained its, its, its budding pulpiteers, uh, but it needs to be revamped. It needs to be modernized um, because of the seminary slope. Wow, man, that, that's powerful stuff. And, and again, everything that we talked about, you know, you, you go in depth and, you know, and you got receipts and everything, yeah. you know, uh, in your book. So can't wait for it to come out. Certainly yeah. can't wait for it to come out. And I strongly <laughs> encourage you know, everyone to check it out. Uh, the last thing I kind of want to ask you to kind of just touch on, you know, is, you know, you, you, you mentioning in your book, you know, you have a section in your book that talks about valuing black women, you mm -hmm. know, why mm -hmm. is it important to bring this up in the topic of, of church and in the black church? Yeah. Cause you can't really talk about the black church without talking about black women because black women make up the majority of the African-American church. And so to write a book about the African-American church and ignore black women is, is, is just, you're just not, you're not taking the subject seriously. Mm -hmm. uh, and also historically, you know, black women have been marginalized, treated like second-class citizens. They have been relegated to a position where they're seen and not heard. Now, now, now some of the denominations have been better than others, right? However, you know, as a, as a, as a collective institution, and I, I define what the black church is in the book, in the introduction, as a matter of fact. So for those of you wondering how I even define the term black church, because even the term black church it can be argued about, um, but black women have been mistreated. So yeah, in that chapter, I talk about one of my heroes, one of my sheroes, her name was Nanny Helen Burroughs and the contributions that she made to the National Baptist Convention, not just to the National Baptist Convention, but also to the country. Um, uh, and, uh, and I talk about how now, now this, this chapter is a, is a potentially explosive chapter. It is a controversial chapter because I address complementarianism. I also address egalitarianism. So I, I address, you know, the view that says women should not be elders or, or um, and women should not be uh, leaders of the household, right? So that, that would be sort of the complementarian view. But then the egalitarian view that says women can do anything that a man could do, both um, ecclesiastically and, uh, you know, domestically, right? So I, I address those and I talk to both groups. And I make clear where I land in, 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 that, in all of that, right? Um, but I talk to both groups and I, and, I, and, I, and I try to help both groups think 
about ways within their context, right? Because I'm not asking for the egalitarian to leave their biblical convictions. If, if, if that's their biblical conviction, right. then I'm not asking them to leave that. I'm also not asking the complementarian to leave their biblical convictions. What right. I'm after mainly is how within that context can we value black women better yeah. and serve them better and affirm them more? That's good, man. That's good, man. Well, Pastor Isaiah Robertson, man, I want to thank you so much for your time. I want to thank you so much for your vigor. I want to thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and years of experience and studies and whatnot here on Is Here Ruin Radio. I want to encourage everybody to, you know, pre-order. Where can they go to pre-order the book if they hear Yeah, the- so right now it's available. So they can, they can go to Amazon. They can go to Barnes & Noble. So right now on Amazon, I think only the Kindle version is available for pre-order. But on Barnes & Noble, the print copy and the electronic copy is available for pre-order. So they can either go to Amazon or, uh, or Barnes & Nobles and they just search Black Church Empowered and it should come up. Black Church Empowered, all right? So make sure y'all check it out. As I always say, it's two things I always say. One is, you may or may not be reformed, but we should all be informed. And last but not least, here on Is He A Real One, we always ask you, is he a real one? Yes, he is. And the he that we talking about is Jesus, y'all. A-A-Amen.